Great. My name is Jim Cook, one of the pastor elders here at this church. We're going to be continuing in our sermon series, uh, Dwell Well in the House of God, going through 1 Timothy. Uh, we will I'll walk you through chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. First, we're going to go through 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. Uh, two things I want you to get out of it today is just like the song we sang right there, uh, is trusting God. Our confidence is in God. The next thing really is, is really being a role model. Do you have a role model and are you a role model to others? Before we get into our passage though, I want to take about 20 to 30 seconds. I want you to be quiet before the Lord, seek him and see where he wants to lead you this morning and then we'll open up in prayer. So let's be quiet before the Lord and see what he wants from us. My prayer for you this morning is uh, Philippians, if you can open up there, Philippians chapter 4. This is another, this is a letter that Timothy co-authored with Paul. Um, I'm going to look at chapter 4, verses 4 through 9 right now. This is my prayer for you guys. You guys have it? Starting in verse 4. Paul says here, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Could you guys imagine if, if, really quick, Brett, is this too loud or does this seem to echo to you guys or... Okay, it's all good. Could you guys imagine if we were trying to start a club on campus, um, a few of us, and we're trying to recruit people, and our slogan was, hey, come join us. Come and endure afflictions with us. Endure hardships. Endure distresses. How about beatings, imprisonments? How about sleeplessness, sleeplessness and hunger? How would that slogan work? Probably not too well, huh? Probably wouldn't get too many recruits. But as you see, Timothy was a cohort of Paul. He was a friendly companion. So Timothy knew quite well when this letter was written to Timothy by Paul, he knew what he was getting into. 10 to 15 years prior is when he first met Paul. He'd been on several missionary journeys with him. So he knew what he was getting into. He saw Paul being put in prison. He saw Paul being beaten. Um, it, It brings me to the point of, We all face pressures, we all face stresses in our lives, whether it's social issues, political issues, COVID-19, we've all been stressed the past year and a half. But my question to you, when you face pressures and stresses in life, how do you react? What do you do? Do you quickly go to the Lord? Do you you, uh, pray to him? Do you seek him out and trust in his power? Do you really trust that he is in control? Or maybe something else? I think it's common for us. We do stress eating. 
Some people go to alcohol, maybe even drugs, maybe even shut out the world completely. Another question I like to ask is, what about when you sin? We, we all sin, right? What do you do? Do you just kind of brush it away? Think, well, I'm a sinner anyways. No big deal. Or do you quickly confess it to God and maybe to the one that you sinned against? These are good questions to think about. I know that God tests the hearts of those that are his. Um, and it's for very good reason. We are given tests in life in all aspects of our life. It's really to see how we understand a subject and to see if we believe what we say. Needless to say, whether Christian or not, we're going to go through these pressures. We're going to go through these temptations in life. And how do we deal with these tests? Whether pressures or temptations, it will greatly impact the way that we live our lives. Now, thanks be to God, he's the one that knows we're going to fail many of these tests. And that's not the point here. Really, the point is that we are continually striving after God, that we're sincerely submitting our lives to him. I know Dave has mentioned this several times. It's in Philippians 3. Paul talks about this as well. And I love this because it's, it's um, none of us have arrived. None of us have been perfected. We haven't been completed yet in Christ. We are all maturing in our faith. So don't ever think that we have it all together. Um, if you've been here 20, 30, 40 years, we're, we are all maturing at the, we're maturing after Christ. I love uh, in the book of Job, um, Job was in a lot of distress. He had everything taken away from him, and he had his family. Uh, he had boils on himself. Even his body was being afflicted. But he asked this question, and I want you guys to really think about this. And he says here, will it be well with you when God searches you out? Or can you deceive God as one deceives man? I want to ask this again, and think about this. Will it be well with you when God searches you out? And will it be, can you deceive him as we deceive man? You see, we can fool people. We even fool ourselves and we don't realize it. But God will never be fooled. He is constantly searching our hearts, and that's why we quickly turn to him and go to him in prayer. But you know what? One day we are all going to stand before God. And to those that know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he's going to say, Job, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come with me into eternal life. But what about those that don't know Jesus truly or don't really? Maybe they confess Jesus. It says in James 2.19, even the demons believe and they shudder. So they don't fully put their trust in Christ. But what, is it, what does it say about when those that come that say they know Christ but don't? What does Jesus say? Get away from me. I never knew you. You, you. Depart from me, you, practice, you who practice lawlessness. Can you imagine standing before the day of judgment? So that's why I'd rather search my heart now. I'd rather confess before people, be honest and open, than the day of Christ and, and a falsehood. Well, um. Over and over again, thankfully, we have God's word. And in these scriptures, we are taught amazing truth which cannot be overlooked. That is why we need to quickly go to God and cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. And this is usually not our first instinct. We need to be constantly trained to go to God. And this is where I think good mentors and role models come in. People come to us all the time like, Jim, what should I do here? 
what's God telling you? Go to God in his word. Yes, we have people that know God's word, but we should be pointing people to God's word because it doesn't matter what I say. It matters what the word of God says. And then in Philippians 4, 6, as we just read here, um, as you're seeking him out in, in times of testing and you're honestly, you're giving it to him and say, Lord, you're the one that's in control of what happens. The peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. This is a supernatural gift, something I can't conjure up in the physical world. It has to be by the power of the Holy Spirit that does this in our lives. This brings us to our passage today in 1 Timothy, uh, as I said, chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. Uh, You could flip over there, but in just a second, uh, just realize this first, that Paul's writing to this young pastor, Timothy. He's possibly, some, some have that he's upper 20s, uh, early 30s. I've heard his up as, maybe he's mid 40s. But um, his instruction is to him is how to effectively establish order and care in the church. We've already gone through the first 11 uh, pass- the verses. Uh, we've seen his instruction to Timothy already. Um, and it's true that, yeah, Orderly church worship is in view in Timothy and and even the book of Titus. That's what's in view here. But you know what? The more important overall theme that really Paul is getting at is that the life-changing goodness of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's the one that should change our hearts, not outside in, but inside out. And when, when Christ comes into your life, not only will your beliefs change, but your behavior should change as well. In fact, if your beliefs change, if you proclaim to know Jesus and your life does not match it, that's what hypocrisy is. We're going to be talking about hypocrisy here in just a moment. Um, but uh, just understand that with belief in Christ, there should be, the behavior should follow. There's no two ways about it. And if, if the Holy Spirit is working in us, he's the one that's going to do the work in us. Um, and it just brings us to our, the sermon series we're talking about is dwell well in the house of God. This isn't mean that, okay, you come to church, you sit in the chair, you stay here all day, maybe you sleep here all night. But what does it mean to dwell well in the house of God? It means that the living Savior, Jesus Christ, is in your heart. He's dwelling in you, and you're allowing full reign of, of him in your life. And this way, when Christ is in your life and he changes you, This is why, as Paul says many times, you can walk in a manner worthy of him. Because it's Christ that's doing the work, not myself. It's not you doing the work, it's Christ in him. So I've titled this sermon today, it's called Confidence in Christ. Um, Again, as Paul's writing to his young protege, Timothy, he's left him in the city of Ephesus. And he instructs him in such a way that there is no doubt that is Christ the one who will change the hearts of those that are here. That's why I love it as a pastor, elder. Um, I, I rely that it's Christ that changes your heart. It's not me. He will use us. He uses the power of the Holy Spirit to speak through us. The Holy Spirit takes from the Father, and he interprets to you the word of God. And he's the one that will impress on your heart. He's the one that will convict your heart, not me. I just, I'm the messenger of God. And don't, don't think for a second that the messenger of God is not important because we are. We have an important role, but it's all about the glory of Jesus Christ. 
is to understand too. Um, so back in this time, this, the letter is written right, I think about 63, 64 AD, just before the burning down of Rome. A uh, lot of corruption is going on in Ephesus. Um, as we read in the first couple chapters from the past few weeks, um, lot false teaching is going through the church. Uh, people are talking about genealogies, endless myths, and, and uh, it, it's a tough time. And, and, and Paul knows that there's many false teachers that are creeping into the church, and, and with all the upheaval, uh, this, this is a lot of problem. And can you imagine, so as a young pastor, and David, David Adam here, um, as a young guy here, could you imagine if, if all that's going on, and there's a lot of stuff going on today, right? Vaccine mandates, uh, the government's trying to mandate all this stuff on us, and whether it's right or wrong, and, and you, you got teaching in the church or whatever, and can you imagine, David, if I said, look, I'm going to leave you here at NBC, there's some corrupt teaching going on, there's this guy, Jim Cook, preaching all this false stuff, there's this D- Dave Carlson, we don't know what he's doing, there's Andres, there's less, a uh, lot of people in the church, let alone your dad, Chuck Adam, but you have been given the responsibility to run this church. How, how would that be? Do you think that would be easy? No. So this is, this is all the more reason, this huge responsibility, which is above and beyond that Timothy is capable of, this is why Paul is writing to him an encouragement to let him know it is all about Christ. And quickly, when these stresses build up in your life, Go to Christ because he is the one that will supernaturally change the hearts of those that are here. So let's go ahead, uh, 1 Timothy 1, uh, verses 12 through 20. I'm reading through the ESV here. And uh, let's read it here. It says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to service. Remember, this is Paul speaking to Timothy. He says, Though I formerly was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe into him for eternal life. Verse 17, Paul breaks out into a little doxology of praise, and he says here, To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge, Timothy, I entrust to you, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, the past couple of weeks, uh, we've seen in the first few verses of Timothy, Paul is laying again, he's important instructions in how to order the church. Um, He he really is basically telling, hey, guard against false teaching here. And and again, the law, 
It's being used inappropriately. He goes over how the law is and, and who it's really meant for. Um, but in the first few verses of Timothy, we see some important verses which should help us all. And not only for this passage, but of all of Scripture. Now, this is verses 1 and 5. I don't have it up on the screen, but you, if you got your Bibles with you um, and you're going through this, verse 1 of Timothy 1, it says that Christ Jesus is our hope. It's not Paul is not his hope. It's not the hope is in you, Timothy. It's Christ Jesus is our hope. This hope is, is, is not a wishful thinking that some of us think of in, in culture today. Oh, I hope this comes to pass. I, no, it's a sure hope of salvation in Christ Jesus. And that's what we point people to. Uh, the next verse that I love here is, is in verse 5. It says, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. This word sincere means without hypocrisy. So basically, if, if Christ is our hope, we can teach others from a pure heart and live lives which are in sound accordance with the holiness of God. Now, the verses we just read, verses 12 through 20, Paul has taken a break from his instruction. Um, and he, he really tells Paul, he, he's telling Timothy here, this is why I give you this instruction, but this is why you can trust in it. It's the God of the heavens and the earth who created everything. He knows every little detail about you. What better to draw unto the confidence of God and seek out what he says of you? Have your trust in him. I want to go, we'll go to verse 12 here. Uh, Paul says here, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. Paul is quick again. He's here, he's encouraging Timothy as to where his strengths come from. It's, it's no mystery here. Um, his strength comes from the resurrected Christ and nothing else. It's not just a physical strength, but it's a spiritual strength to stand up against the schemes of the enemy. It's not just, again, it's, I think it's easy to look at the life of Paul and uh, you see, man, this guy's bold. Uh, he's courageous. Um, he, he's got eagerness. Man, of course, what, who else would Christ choose? But you know what? Paul many times says, I am weak. I come to you trembling. I come fearful. But it's only because of the power of Christ that's in him. It's an encouragement to all of us. Um, Paul says here, he was a blasphemer. That's one who takes the name of the Lord in vain. Uh, he was a persecutor of Christians. He was literally trying to de defame and exterminate Christians before he came to the Lord. And, and lastly, it says here, he was insolent, which is, means a violent aggressor, as some versions may say. Uh, but basically, before Paul came to Christ, he was grossly rude and disrespectful to Christians. He, even to the point of killing, killing Christians. And, and it's kind of ironic that Christ would appoint someone to serve him who knowingly persecuted and killed Christians. Now, if you remember, if you go back to Acts chapter 7 and 8, Stephen, uh, he was a righteous man of God, and he was proclaiming the name of Christ. And, and they were stoning him, and, and Paul was there. Paul was there agreeing to have this man stoned to death, to have him killed. But now Christ is calling him on his team, per se. Well, um, 
again, it's an encouragement for all of us, but uh, I, I love what Paul has to say in the letter, 1 Corinthians verses 25 through 30. Hopefully you're familiar with this. Uh, this is what Paul says. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses um, 25 through 30. Why, and is, the question I have here is, why would, why would Jesus choose Paul? Why would he choose me? Why would he choose any of you to follow after him? And this is what he says. It's quite humbling. It says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, especially according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Paul, straight, straight out, he's saying that he was not chosen because of his ability, uh, because of his fame or his wealth. And that goes for all of us here. Um, don't think that, that we're any more impressive than anybody else. Um, it's kind of humbling, though, huh? But you know what? I can assure you, and I praise God so much in my life. I think a lot of us have insecurities. I think we see people and think, man, this guy's got it all together. Um, but you know what? I think a lot of us are insecure. And what I love about this is coming to Christ. When I come before you, I know I have to be on my knees praying that, God, I can't change these people's hearts. You're the one that has to do it. And it's just reassuring that if, if I come in an attitude of humbleness and meekness, people can only raise me up. But if I come in this arrogance of, yeah, I know everything, I got God's word, people can push me down. And I think, I think that's really, and Romans talks about this, don't think more of yourself than you ought to. I think sometimes we think more of ourselves than we ought to. And, and hear me clear, I'm not saying all depression, but I think sometimes we get depressed. Because I think I'm up here, and I come in, and people put me down here. And we get depressed because it's a mismatch. But you know what I found? If I come in lowly and think of myself as being low, like no more important than any of us here, God does an amazing work, and he's the one that will exalt us in due time. It's, clear, it's in 1 Peter 5. Um, this is it's nothing that I've come up with. Now look at, look, look at the last half of verse 13. It says here, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul received mercy because he had acted ignorantly in unbelief. He persecuted Christians. He didn't know about the resurrected Christ yet. Understand this clearly. There's usually three things that I found um, that people don't come to Christ. Usually it's ignorance. They, they've never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They, don't, they would not know how to come to Christ because no one's really told them about Christ. The second thing that 
it's usually people don't come, okay, now they hear of Christ, but it's pride. Like, I don't need Christ. I can, I can dwell righteousness in my own. I can make myself a good person. And usually the third, the third um, the thing that I see out there is sin. And this was in my life, too. Someone preached to me the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and um, it's really because I didn't want to come to Christ because of the sin in my life. I felt like, man, if I come to Christ, I'm going to have to give this up. I love what we say here all the time, come as you are. Jesus never says, clean your life up and come here. Jesus says, come to me as you are and let me change you. Let the risen Christ come in your life, the power of the Holy Spirit, change and direct your life in a way that we can only but proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ has done it in our life. We go to verse 14 here, and uh, again, it says, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ. I tell you, folks, um, before Christ, I, I remember that too. I was 17 years old. Um, I, I wanted to live my own life, what I thought was a, a good life. But when I was conflicted, confronted with who Jesus Christ was, I, I really had to make that choice. Am I going to follow him? I mean, am I going to put him king of my life? Or am I going to be king of my own life? And um, once I gave my life to Christ, it's amazing the love that you now have for people, the compassion that you have for people. If you read the scriptures, really, it's Christ has compassion for people. So people that say that they come to know Jesus and they can't stand the homeless, the wicked, the um, um, blank in here, but bear with me, but widows and orphans. Man, maybe you don't know Christ. If you, don't, if you, if you can't stand other people, maybe you don't know Christ because he has compassion on people. You're not just going to walk by anymore. Knowing that they are created in the image of God, how can you walk by someone and put your hand and say, no, you're not worthy of my time? It's, it's humbling. Christ is the one who will do the work in our lives. We go to verse 15 here. And Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. It's Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul says this it's five times in, in Timothy and Titus. He's saying this. It's almost like when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say unto you. I want you to listen to this. Something important here. I think we all get the gist of it. Um, books have been written about this. What's this trustworthy saying? Does he really even have to say it? Um, Timothy has been with him so many times. But of course, we need this reminder daily. The, the, this trustworthy save, saying here is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I know you guys know John 3.16 uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But I love, we, I think a lot of times we, we, and I encourage you, take a scripture and read what's before it and read what's after it. John 3.17 goes on to say that God did not send Jesus Christ into the world to condemn the world. He sent him to save the world. So a lot of times we have this misconception of God's just here to put me down, out of my place, or whatever. Um, but I think it's good. It's, it's a good reminder to us that God created people to have a personal relationship with him. 
I've had many people talk to about Jesus. They've been upset with me, uh, frustrated. I've had people flip me off. Friends, flip me off and tell me, shove your God, whatever. And, and that's a polite way of saying it. And, and believe me, that's where you have to go like, Lord, I can't do this. And he says, good, the Holy Spirit will do it. He's the one that will give me strength. And it's, it's the encouragement to know that when I'm with someone who doesn't go the ways that I want them to do or understand, um, they, God created them to have a relationship with him. And when we begin to understand that, I, I think that gives us a compassion for people. That was the way that I was before Christ. I remember mocking people uh, before I came to Christ. But um, I just think of this too. When you come to Christ, you have eternal life, right? And the scriptures clearly talk that if you don't come to Christ, it's eternity in hell. And I know some people like to say, no, no, Jim, that's pretty harsh. Like, why do you have to fear me and stuff? And, and uh, why do you have to use fear? And that wouldn't be a good God to tell you. If, if you were to die without him and to face eternity in hell, that's pretty important, wouldn't you think? And that, that's why I gave my life to Christ. I had to look at Jesus Christ and see if he is who he says he is and I die without him, I face eternity in hell. But the love of Christ compels Christ so much to tell us that he, he knows the reaction that we're going to get. And how much loving is that with someone you know? I think this is, and I ask people, how do you tell people, when they ask me, hey, if I don't know, go, if I don't know Jesus, what's going to happen to me? Th that is the hardest question I have when I talk to people about Christ. But the power of the Holy Spirit wells up, and I can't but not say it. Oh, well, you'll be fine. Don't worry. No. I have to tell people, this is what the Bible said. This is God. It's not me. God says that you'll face eternity in hell. Now, um, it's harsh, but again, would you tell your little kid, uh, there's a fire over there. Oh, go ahead, run into the fire. No big deal. No, it's a loving parent would tell your kid, the fire is hot. I know you say, well, they'll figure it out. No. They, many a times, kids will do things. They'll run into the streets. Um, they'll do things. We have to warn them on that. Now, continuing on, uh, so Christ came, and, and we could spend forever on this. Uh, Christ came to save sinners. This is what the whole scriptures are all about. But um, Paul says here, and this is pretty amazing here next, um, Christ came to save sinners, and Paul says, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. That's pretty amazing. Um, I, I think, I mean, basically what Paul is saying here is, uh, look, if God can save me, he can save you. He can save you. And I love, so many times people come to me and say, Jim, but there's things that I've done that there's no way God will ever forgive me. And so you know what? There's things that God has done that there is a way he can forgive you. And I don't think we understand the depths of God's love. I think of all the sin in the world. You could put on my pinky hair. And even that is way over compared to the depths of God's love. And when we realize that, no matter how bad someone has, has done, whatever they've done, 
other than the greatest sin really is unbelief in Christ. If you die without knowing Christ, that, that's really the greatest sin. That's, you're done. And that's why we're compelled to tell people about Jesus Christ. And I know it's hard, but we're commissioned as, as uh, followers of Jesus Christ to tell others. Uh, this brings me a question here. Um, I love asking people because I think really it's important to know our position in Christ. Uh, a question I ask, and I, I say this rhetorically, I, I think about it, and I encourage you, go in the scriptures, search it up. Are you a saint or a sinner? And I hear this all the time. People, oh, I'm a sinner, like whatever, and, and I'm not this saint. And I, I think maybe we get, maybe it's bad teaching. Uh, we think of saints, oh, the saints of um, St. John or St. whatever, their church is named after them, but when you begin to understand the word saint means set apart, it's holy unto God. And you know what the word sinner means? Bent on sin. So when you say I'm a sinner, you're saying, well, I'm bent on sin. That's all I can do. Romans 5 talks about this, that before we came to Christ, we were slaves to sin. That's all I could do. That's why for us to tell someone, hey, you shouldn't lie. Why? Uh, well, are you a Christian? No. I mean, we could, we, the law is a tutor that points people to Christ. So I'm not saying we, don't, we shouldn't tell them, hey, the righteousness of Christ. But um, if someone is bent on sin, they're bent on sin. Until they come to Christ and, and Christ does a work in their life, then we're bent on righteousness. Now, that doesn't mean I don't sin anymore. And this is where people, I think, confuse hypocrisy. And they say, um, all the time, they'll say, you Christians, you're hypocritical. You say one thing and do another. And it's, it, it, it'd be hypocritical if I said, look, guys, I, I've come to Christ. I'm perfect. I'm righteous, which we are made perfect and righteous in Christ. But if I told you I don't sin anymore, uh, yeah, my wife is laughing. Um, <laughs> that, that would be hypocritical. But I tell people all the time, being a Christian doesn't mean you don't sin. My bent is not to do sin. Just as, just as if I were a sinner, um, I killed people, I stole, I lied, um, I mentioned murder, and then all of a sudden I helped the, the lady across the street. Does that make me a good person? No. And so as a Christian, when we walk in righteousness, um, we're going to sin. But that's why God calls us to quickly confess it. Don't dwell in it. Don't dwell in your sin. Confess it to God, first of all. Read some scripture. Uh, if you've offended someone, especially as a married person, uh, many times I go to my wife and have to confess sin. And, and, um, and, and there's all types. Um, I, yeah, I, I think sometimes we look at the outward sin. Uh, I love Proverbs 6.16. Uh, six things that God hates, seven that are abomination to him. And he, he hates haughty eyes. He hates pride. That's all the time in the scriptures it talks about God hates pride, uh, but he gives grace to the humble. So it's something to think about. And if I'm a saint in the Lord, I'm called to do righteousness. I'm called to walk in a manner worthy of God. That means that if, if I'm called to walk in a manner worthy of God because I'm called to be a saint, I'm called to be, to, to, to be righteous, if I'm in some type of sin, that's where conviction of God comes in and says, Jim, this, this is not you. I've created you to walk in righteousness. And it, it, it helps, like, you're right, Lord. I need to walk away from this. Um, and, and that's why when someone asked me, I remember before, like, 
they want me to lie on something, and I said, no, I can't. And they're all, well, ooh, like you're goody-goody. And, and it's like, no, because God wants us to be truth-tellers. He's a truth-teller. He wants us to be known as truth-tellers. Um, it doesn't mean that I won't sin. doesn't mean I won't lie ever again. It's just what will I do when I do? Well, we have a, we have a Savior. We have an advocate in Christ Jesus who's covered our sin. It doesn't give us uh, presumption to keep sinning, um, but we know that Christ is there. I'll move on to verse 17 here. Uh, this is an amazing verse here. I love it. It's, it's Paul is talking, giving instruction to Timothy, and he, and he says here, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. I, I just see the smile on Paul's face. You can imagine, I mean, the, the beatings that he's been through, the imprisonments, the distress, the hunger, the sleeplessness, what would make someone more happier than knowing Christ has freed them and we have a hope of eternity in Christ Jesus? I love in Corinthians, it says this momentary light affliction is nothing compared to the weight of eternity. The things that we will experience, I really believe that Paul had a grasp of this. Um, and it, it's comforting to know that it's God who takes full pleasure in us. We go verses 18 and 19, and this charge to Timothy here. He says, to Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. So here, verses 12 through 17, again, it's about encouragement to Timothy. Now he's given him a, a charge. So look, wage the good warfare. Hold the truths of the faith. Keep a good conscience to be a righteous minister and contend with the faith. I'll say this, that good doctrine is always united with obedience and good conscience. If we were preaching, um, live a righteous life, and then you live life with me, and this is why I have a hard time, I, I, don't get me wrong, like reading books and listening to the radio, I know nothing about those people. You guys know a lot about me. I know a lot about you. When I walk with you, you see my life. You see, does it correlate what I'm preaching, right? So there, there's preachers out there. We see it all the time. Man, this guy's amazing. Listen to him 20 years, and then he fell, whatever. I have no clue what the rest of his life was. But God calls us to dwell in a church of believers because we're going to rub off each other. Waging the good warfare brings me, it's Ephesians 6.12. Um, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual warfares of evil in heavenly places. How important to remember this. Um, it's a spiritual battle that we're going to. Um, and, and when we realize this, it's not about flesh and blood. It's about the spiritual heavens. In verse 20, 19 and 20, we finish up here. It says, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. What are they rejecting? They're rejecting the truths of the faith and they're rejecting good conscience. A lot of these teachers were. And it's not, though, they couldn't be reconciled in Christ. Paul's handing them over to Satan. It seems kind of mean. It seems kind of callous. But if, if, if um, I'd, I'd rather hand someone to Satan and what that looks like, it's, there's debates and arguments, whatever, but it's kind of, I would say kick them out of the church, excommunication. But it's really to get them to want, I'd rather them be, deal with it here on earth, 
then stand before the judgment and God realize that they never knew the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, in their life. If I could call the band up. Um, so where do we go from here? Where? I mean, it's, it's easy for me to stand up here to preach these things. Uh, we're all in a nice little place, um, especially here in America. But it, life is hard out there. I have flesh just like you guys. Dave, Dave Carlson has flesh. Um, Chuck Adam here. We all have the same flesh. It's, it's not like that we've matured, that we've made it. Um, but th- this is what I think is really important here. And this is two things I really get out of this passage. We need role models, and we need to be role models. I encourage you guys, look for people who've walked in the faith. My, my role model is 50 years older than me. Um, all, even in college, I loved hanging out with people in their 70s and 80s that would walk with the Lord. Life is hard. And I always imagined, I always thought that, man, that day is going to come when, Jesus, I'm kind of walking on my own, and I don't need you anymore. It, not really, but... I realize the more that I walk with Christ, the more that I need him, the more that I cling to him, the more that I realize I don't know what I know. So I encourage you guys. That's what I love about my, my mentor. Um, he, he just tells Jim, you're going to get through. Go to Christ. Go to the word. Just immediately. You, you don't have to go home. You don't have to go to your closet. Wherever you're at, all the time, it's like, Lord, what just happened here? You, you can talk to the Lord wherever you're at. Uh, second thing, our confidence in Christ. And it, it, really, we talk about dwell well in the house of God. Um, I love, and I know, I know I'm kind of going over time, but um, I love this in 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha, who's, who's, um, he's a prophet of God, and uh, he, he has a servant with him. And the king of Aram wants to destroy Israel. And so the king of Aram has all these plans, and, and, um, but Elijah, he's praying to God, and God is giving his plans and disrupting them. And king of Aram says, okay, who in my midst, who's the traitor here? And someone speaks up and says, look, there is no traitor. It's this prophet Elijah. Elisha. Um, he, he, he has his God that he prays to, and the things, and he knows the things that you're doing in secret. How scary is that? The, the, and I always think of that like if the things I'm doing in secret, if all of a sudden that was exposed on the screen here, I, I'm sure we all have that. But I'd rather that be exposed to you guys than to hold on to it and live this fake life. Oh, everything's good with me than to come to the judgment of Christ. And he said, Jim, get away from me. I never knew you. Now, I know, I know, and people say, well, wait, you just said if you know Christ, you have eternity with him. Yes, you do, and I'm not saying, I'm not fearful. I know that Christ has given me, it's based on his word that we have eternal life if we believe in him, and he changes our hearts and our lives. But, I'm sorry, I got off a little off point there, but Second, Second Kings, I put this in your bulletin, chapter 6, verses 15 through 18, this is what... So King of Aram is coming to look for Elijah. He's, I'm, I'm going to destroy him. I'm going to seize him. And so the servant of God, he's kind of talking to Elijah, and he's fearing. And this is what it says here, verses 15 through 18. 
When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. So you can imagine, just all of a sudden, if all this um, military started surrounding our church because we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people started getting fearful, and this is what, this is what Elisha says. Um, he says, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around. I just love this view, and many times, many times when I've gone into stressful circumstances, stressful things, even just driving to work, I imagine that I peel the heavens, and it's like, okay, Lord, and even in, in 1 John 4, it says that he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And it's like all of a sudden the Holy Spirit gives me that strength and courage in life um, to face the world. Because I know that Christ is the one, he's all in control. And so with this, having a role model, being a role model to others, but first and foremost, knowing our confidence is in Christ. That is how we can dwell well in the house of God because Christ dwells well within us. We are his house. Father, I just I thank you for your word this morning. Um, I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to go before us to prepare a path that we should walk in. You've prepared good works that we should walk in them. And, and um, Lord, I just thank you that you call us to submit to you, to leave all things to you. Um, we walk in your holiness and righteousness. You've called us to walk in a manner worthy of you. You called us to display your glory to the world. I pray for everyone here that they would know the risen Christ for sure, that they would know the hope of eternity, that when they die, that they will see you and you will say, job well done, my good and faithful servant. Come into me to eternal life. And I pray also that just the boldness that as we walk out into the battlefield, the spiritual warfare, which is, I, we know that your, your uh, angels, let alone you, are surrounding us, Lord, that we would walk in boldness and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to those that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.